This is Elizabeth Thicken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. I am excited about book four that we have been in, and the chart is the first page of your handouts that you should look at. Psalms book four. We've been reading through the story of book four, and the chart lists what each chapter of the story tells us. And there is a flow of thought when you step back and take a bird's eye view, look at it. So that's what that chart is to help you to do. Psalm 90, Moses helps us get an eternal perspective of our life on earth. And what about it? It is short. And during our short life, Psalm 91 tells us that God protects us. Those who dwell in the shadow of the Almighty will find his protection. Just a bit of trivia. I thought perhaps that phrase, shadow of the Almighty, was something that was repeated in Scripture because it just is a phrase that seems so familiar. But this is the only time that it occurs. That surprised me. Psalm 92 is a psalm for the Sabbath, and it directs us to praise God. And then the rest of book four gives us plenty of reasons to praise him. We looked last week at Psalms 93 through 99, and you could see that God is um, praised as king and creator and judge and the holy one. And then we come to Psalm 100, which we didn't spend much time on at all. It was in your workbook. It is a psalm for thanksgiving. We praise him and we thank him because of all that he is, all that we've seen in 90, 91, 92, 93, 399. And then the thanksgiving, we give thanks to God and it's all named again. Psalm 101, 102, 103, 104, 105, Psalm 100 is known as the old 100th. And I know that that's a song, and I looked it up on YouTube to see how it was sung. And I encourage you to look for, on YouTube, the old 100th Psalm, and the tune is arranged by Ralph Vaughn Williams. This tune was arranged specifically for the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. So if you go and you go to YouTube, the Old 100th Psalm arranged by Ralph Vaughn Williams and the, um, the channel name is a weird name, Abend Music at First Plymouth. Listen to the story of how this Psalm 100 was sung at the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II in 1953. It was the first time to be sung that way with harmonization and the arrangement by that composer, Ralph Williams. I think if you don't already know the tune and the music that goes along with that very special psalm, then you will hear some things that are very familiar and I encourage you to enjoy that. I want to read Psalm 100 to you now. It says, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Psalm 100, that's where that statement and song comes from. Be thankful to him and bless his name. We have emphasized that word in our studies this week. Why? For the Lord is good. 
His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. This one short psalm seems to summarize everything that we saw expressed and talked about in 103 and 105. There's a line right in the middle of that psalm that might not have stood out to you, but it is critical to our understanding of who we are and who God is. 103, I'm sorry, 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Knowing God as our Creator, knowing God as the Creator, will help us respond to Him as we should in any situation. So that's why it's showing up here, this statement, to know that He made us Knowing God as our creator will be the basis for understanding the scriptures as a whole. You have to know he is the creator. Knowing God as creator is the basis for understanding the doctrine that we're given through scriptures. And knowing God as creator is the basis for understanding the gospel and salvation. Do you realize that? Listen to this statement by Dr. Henry Morris. The reason that men of all times and places need a savior and redeemer is that they are in a state of rebellion against their creator. They have, as Romans 1.25 says, they have changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, that is the world, its systems, or created beings. And they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Romans 1.25. Dr. Morris says, this is as true for modern atheists, humanists, communists, Buddhists, and all other varieties of evolutionists, as it was for the ancient pantheistic evolutionists. Men and women must first be brought back to a recognition of their creator before they can comprehend the meaning of sin against him and salvation by him. So what do we have in book four that helps us focus on God the Creator, Psalm 104. It praises Him as our Creator, as the Creator. And I wanna help you get to know Psalm 104 a little bit better if you don't already know it. In our study this year, I have pointed out Messianic Psalms, I have pointed out Torah Psalms and imprecatory Psalms. And now we're going to look at one of the five creation psalms. What are the other five? Psalm 8, Psalm 19, the first half of it. Psalm 29 and Psalm 148 are also creation psalms. But Psalm 104 focuses on God as the creator and his creation more than any of the other psalms do. It is uh, the most creation-oriented psalm in the book. It parallels the creation account found in Genesis 1 in a beautiful way. Genesis chapter 1 describes God's act of creation logically, giving day-by-day details. Psalm 104 is a free-flowing delight in God's work and acknowledgement of Him as creator and all of His power and what He does. It uses rich vocabulary. You can tell from the first verses of Psalm 104, which is on the other side of your chart. Hopefully you've turned your page and you see all of Psalm 104 listed there. 
From the first verses, this is a call to praise the Lord and marvel at his works. Verses one and two say, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. As I was doing research and looking for songs, I was looking to see if there was a modern song based on Psalm 104. And um, I didn't find exactly what I was looking for. I encourage you to listen to This Is My Father's World. It almost sounds like it was taken directly from Psalm 104, not the words, but the concept. But what I found from Psalm 104 was a kid's memory song. As they go through the alphabet and they're looking for verses that have different letters to remember, memorize scripture. Psalm 104.1 shows up for the letter V. Why? Because it says, O Lord my God, you are very great. So if you need to go through the alphabet in praising God and you get to V and wonder what to do with the letter V, Psalm 104.1 says, God, you are very great. Beginning with verse 2, and continuing throughout the psalm, we see that the sequence of God's acts in creation are the same between Genesis 1 and Psalm 104. But Psalm 104 is not a stiff, structured account of creation, so there is more expressed and a lot more being talked about in 104 than we see in the day-by-day -day description of creation in Genesis 1. There are many intricate connections between Genesis 1 and Psalm 104. I am not going to highlight all of those. That's almost like you could stay in Psalm 104 for a long study. You could just go verse by verse and look at God's creation and what he did and, and see connections and word connections. I'm just going to give you the corresponding sequence and I've given this to you on a handout because there's so much to cover. So let's look at the days. And this is going to be part of our walk through Psalm 104. Day one, God created earth, space, time, and light. Psalm 104.2 says about God, you cover yourself with light as a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a curtain, like a tent, a curtain. And Genesis 1.3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So day one, we have light first. Day two is the creation of the atmosphere. God separated the waters from the waters. Psalm 104.3 says he lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind. You can hear the statements about atmosphere in there. God's upper chambers in some translations is named as his loft. I saw a commentary call that a penthouse, meaning God is up above. He has the exclusive penthouse dwelling above the waters. And he makes the clouds his chariot. Day two in Genesis 1, 6 through 8, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God called the firmament heaven. So this is the atmosphere. Day two. Day three, God made dry land and plants. Psalm 104, 14 says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And we see in Genesis 1, 9 through 13, I have some not 
well, I've chosen specific verses out of that passage. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And in verse 11, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that eats yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. So hopefully you're seeing the words that match grass grows, vegetation, bring forth food from the earth. Those are similar words from Genesis 1, 9 through 13. On day four, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Isn't it fascinating? It's always fascinating to think he made the grass grow before he made the sun, but he was the light for the grass. So day four, sun, moon, and stars. Psalm 104, 19 says he appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. Genesis 1, 14 through 19 says, God, let, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So the sun knows it's going down because he appointed it to rule the day. Day five, God made the fish and birds and sea monsters. Psalm 104, 25 and 26 says, this great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There's that Leviathan, which you've made to play there. Genesis 1, 20 through 22, God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, innumerable teeming things. You see the parallels there. Let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. Day six, God made the land animals and man. Psalm 104, 29 and 30 says, you hide your face and they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth. Genesis 1, 24 through 27, verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle, creeping thing, beast of the earth, each according to its kind. I just, just totally matches verse 29 that they return to their dust. The animals return to their dust. They were made from the earth by God. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 27, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And Genesis 2, 7 says, and the Lord God formed him the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. I hope you're seeing the direct connection parallel that 104 and Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 2, 7 have with God's spirit breathing life into the man made of dust. I love seeing how the scriptures are connected to each other. There's also a mystery that comes about. Which of these scriptures came first? 
And that question has been asked regarding the connection between Genesis and Psalm 104. And I just have a very simple visual here. Was Genesis written first or was Psalm 104 written first? Well, I don't want to give you a headache, but I want you to ponder a few things with me. Some commentators say that Psalm 104 was looking at Genesis and Genesis came first and then Psalm 104 was written. But others say and see that Psalm 104 came first and Genesis was looking at Psalm 104. And I've got one more mystery to toss into the mix. The book of Job has a lot of creation truth in it. And there are many connections between Psalm 104 and the account of creation in Job. And we're going to look at those. So that's the uh, other side of your handout. And I want to walk through those connections and continue to see what Psalm 104 tells us about creation. Number one, in Psalm 104, 5, God laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. Job 38, 4, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Number two, Psalm 104, 9, God said, um, who says this? Oh, the psalmist says it <laughs> about God. You have set a boundary that they, the waters, may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. And God says in Job 38, 10 and 11, when I fixed my limit for it, the ocean, and set bars and doors, when I said this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. The waves cannot go any further on the, up on the beach than God allows them to go. The third connection are about the springs of water flowing in the mountains. Psalm 104, 11 through 14. They, the springs, give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them, by the springs, the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He, God, waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle. Now let's see similar phrases in Job 39.5. Who set the wild donkey free? Who loosed the bonds of the onager whose home I have made in the wilderness? And the barren land is his dwelling. He scorns the tumult of the city. He doesn't heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. So in both Psalm 104, 11 through 14, and then Job 39, 5 through 8, we're looking at the mountains, the wilderness, the wild animals who are getting their water and their food from the hand of God and his provision. Number four, in Psalm 104, verse 13, he waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. So we're really focusing on the water now, the rain. Job 38, 25, who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? 
And in verse 37, it says, who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? That's the phrase used here for God pouring out the rain from the bottles of heaven. Number five, Psalm 104, verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. I'm emphasizing that phrase right now. Job 28, 5, as for the earth, from it comes bread, but underneath it's turned up as by fire. Number six, Psalm 104, 18, the high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. Job 39, 1, do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? The high hills for the wild goats, the wild mountain goats, talking about the same animals here. Number seven, Psalm 104, 19, he appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knows it's going down. Already talked about that. Job 38, 12, God says to Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? So the language here is really that God is telling the sun when to go down. He's commanding it. Number eight, Psalm 104, 21, the young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. And Job 38, 39 and verse 41, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? This is emphasizing that God feeds the animals. Number nine, Psalm 104, 24. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Job 5, 9. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? Countless works. And in wisdom God has made them. Number 10. Ah, this is a fun one. Psalm 104, 26. There the ships sail about, and there is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. God says in Job 41, 1 through 5, Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you leash him for your maidens? These are, uh, I wouldn't say they're rhetorical questions, but the answer that Job has to give is no, he's not going to touch. He cannot touch. He cannot uh, wrangle the Leviathan. Number 11, Psalm 104, 29. You hide your face and they are troubled. You take away their breath. They die and return to their dust. And what does Job say? 34, 14. If he should set his heart on it, if God should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. The language is so similar here. And number 12, Psalm 104, 30, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. And Job said, knew about himself. Job 33, 4, the spirit of God has made me and the breath 
of the Almighty gives me life. So which came first? Do we have Genesis or Job or Psalm 104? Well, in my studies, because I have had the opportunity to study the book of Job, and it's fascinating, Job is the oldest book in the Bible based on what I have um, studied. Genesis goes back to the first days of the earth, but it was written by Moses, and Job lived before Moses. So we've already asked the question, was Psalm 104 looking at Genesis? Was Psalm 104 looking at Job? Was Job looking at Psalm 104? Which came first? We don't know. But what each of these accounts does tell us is that God came first. That is what we are to remember. What's the purpose of Psalm 104? Is it only to praise God because of his initial act of creating the heavens and show his power in doing that? No. It emphasizes God as creator and the sustainer of everything. He is intimately involved in all that he created. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's a good song. God is not, as some have described him, a clockmaker who made the earth and wound it up and then just set it to run on its own. He is involved. He's the king who cares and loves and provides and is intimately active and powerful in the world on an ongoing basis, every day, moment by moment. If God were to stop handling the needs of the heavens and the earth, disasters beyond our comprehension would begin. Everything would fall apart. In this Psalm 104, what we see is God handling every day, everywhere, all the needs of his creation. Sun, moon, stars, rain, animals, man, birds, sea creatures, every single thing. Psalm 104, 26 says, what you give them, they gather in. You open your hand and they are filled with good. So, all life on earth is cared for by God. Even that mysterious creature, Leviathan. You can learn a lot more about Leviathan if you study the book of Job with me. But here, what we want to note is that God made him. And it almost sounds like he is God's pet to play with in the ocean. He lets it play in the ocean. That word play is showing up. So for all of you nature lovers, this psalm is for you. And for all of you animal lovers, this psalm is for you. It's a beautiful, comforting psalm. And it shows us that God is in control of the life and death of every creature. Again, Psalm 104, 29, it says about God, you hide your face and they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. And this may seem a little bit strange, but we had a sweet little puppy dog who lived a long life, but the day came, which was the last of her days. And I was by myself at home, I had to take her to the vet. 
I was told she did not have much longer to live. I knew that Psalm 104 was a creation psalm. I turned to it just to read and know that God was in control of his creation. And that verse comforted me. God, you take away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. It told me even my dog's death was in the hands of the Lord. I needed that comfort right then. Verse 30 says, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Making things new is in God's hands. That would have been critical for the Israelites in exile to remember. They needed so many new things. They needed a new edict that would send them back to their homeland. They needed a new temple. They needed a new king. They needed a new heart. It's critical for us to remember, as I mentioned already, in our understanding and sharing of the gospel, that it is God who makes all things new. He's the one who does the new thing in our lives that we need. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us he makes us a new creation. And he does this according to Titus 3.5 by the regeneration. That's a recreating, doing a new thing. He does that through his Holy Spirit. When I was studying about Psalm 104, I learned that this psalm is sung on the morning of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's that day once a year when the Jews fast and seek forgiveness from the Lord. And this psalm is sung as a pledge that new life will emerge out of penance and sorrow. This psalm is also recited each Sabbath from the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall to Passover in the spring. So it's recited each Sabbath through the winter months in anticipation of spring. I'm going to have to remember that next winter. And if this spring doesn't come and get warm and sunshiny very soon, then just keep going back to Psalm 104. And trust God that he is in control of the seasons and the rain. Well, let's see the grand conclusion to the psalm. Verse 31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Genesis 1 told us he saw it all and it was good. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. All he has to do is look or just touch and his power is displayed. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. The day is coming when God is going to create a new heaven and new earth, and the wicked will no more be on the earth. That is why we are anticipating his new creation, and we bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Delight in him as your creator and as the creator and creator and sustainer of what he has made. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. That's all for today. I am Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.